You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to another episode of Darth Amin's Rule of Two. I am your Sith Lord, Darth Amin. I'm joined as always by my apprentice, Darth Corn Puzzle, aka Anthony Mays. We're reviewing season two of The Bad Batch and season three of The Mandalorian. Only two episodes left in Bad Batch. This week was episode 14, titled Tipping Point, Mays. Ah, tipping point. We got some points and we definitely were tipping. And next week is both episodes. Oh, really? It's a double finale. It's a double elimination. This is the penultimate week of Bad Batch coverage. I won't lie, ladies and gentlemen. I'm happy to hear that. My ass is worn out, man. (laughs) Turns out, Maze, having a good episode of Bad Batch makes things a lot harder. Well, it was interesting (laughs) this week. Last week, spent maybe 10 minutes on Bad Batch and a good 40 minutes on Mandalorian and... It could very well be reversed this week. Yeah. The Mandalorian episode was very straightforward. We got some small things to talk about, but for the most part, it's a filler episode. And then we got a much more complex Bad Batch, given that you and I both thought it was just going to be, oh, let's wrap up on Pabu. Yeah. Well, here's the thing of greatest note for this week in Bad Batch is this is our first episode since season one where everybody's in it. We've got Tech, we've got Wrecker, we've got Hunter, we've got Echo, and we've got Crosshair, and of course, Omega. And truth be told, Maze, I might be nitpicking, but I would rather we had these spliced episodes, even if they don't converge at any point, rather than an entire episode on this, an entire episode on that. Because what ends up happening with the solo episodes is we get stuck with episodes that just suck, as opposed to parts of an episode where you're like, okay, it's going a little slow. So I think about last week as a great example, them discovering Pabu, and I get it. It was important for them to establish the things they established last week so that this week we have a a better understanding of how they are receiving this news and what kind of mind state they're in. Having said that, I could have used a lot less Pabu last episode and maybe a little bit more of what Crosshair was going through or even what Echo was going through. That was actually a complaint that I heard about last week's Mandalorian episode with Dr. Pershing, how it was contiguous Pershing wall to wall in that segment and that Mm -hmm. they didn't break the episode up by some cross cutting back and forth. I don't know. I think sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't think it's an absolute thing, but I thought this might've been the most compelling bad batch episode since the whole clone conspiracy double episode. Yeah. Cause we're starting to see where all of this is headed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more clarity there. And so we start with echo on a rescue mission, rescuing clones who have been imprisoned. They are being transported to 
Mount Tantus. Yeah, the Royce Hemlock, Doc Hemlock, Jimmy Simpson, and his McPoyle experiments. The clones that he rescues, one of them is Hauser, and Hauser, of course. Cole Hauser? No, Doogie Hauser. Mm. Hauser was a clone that appeared in the Clone Wars in the episode he was introduced to us, Liberty on Ryloth. You can tell Hauser because he's always got great hair, man. Like, this dude is just cool as shit, huh? Is it slick back or pushback? It's not pushback. It's slick back. He's having chicken spaghetti at Chicolini's, all white bathing suits, you name it. New Year's at Live. Hauser and a couple others being transported. And here comes Rex. And they have a nifty little device that basically breaks off of their ship and then just burrows its way to the top of this Imperial transport. They break them out. Important to notice, Maze, that now more and more, or now almost exclusively, it's stormtroopers. Yeah, there was what, one clone on board? One clone commando. That was given orders, yeah. But I thought it was interesting, Maze, that even though there were stormtroopers, Echo and company still used the stun. They didn't shoot the kill. Yeah, I'm always amused by that. Because I forget that it's a feature because they use it so infrequently in Star Wars stuff. But right. it's equally effective. Why do they distinguish? Just because they're supposed to be the heroes here in this situation? Why stun in this situation or why stun period? Both. Well, stunning period is because most of the time or through the life of this show, they've been fighting against other clones. Clones who are following orders. Mm-hmm. And so I've always taken it that they're using stun because they realize... These are my brothers, and they don't really feel that way. This is just the chip making them do things they don't want to do. With the Star Troopers, I'm going to like light their ass up, man. They're not going to have a change of heart anytime soon. A lack and a last, I guess. Yeah, they're just a bunch of good guys, and that's why they do what they do. They stun all these stormtroopers or whatever, and they get to the ISB officer who is in charge of this mission, and they demand to know, where are you taking these guys What's happening? And my man does the cyanide pill or the Star Wars version of a cyanide pill, which is suicide shocker. We saw that earlier in this season with the clone assassin Mm -hmm. who was captured by Rex and them boys and decided he'd rather die than give up information. Same thing with this guy. But we can only assume they were being taken to Mount Tantus, right? Yeah, we find out as much shortly. Guy kills himself. Echo is trying to extract some extra information, whatever he can. It's encrypted. They were trying to delete it before they boarded. And the other clone song, we got to go because the reinforcements are here. And of course, they get away just in time. We fast forward to Tantus to move on to the next member of the Bad Batch. And we see that after shooting his commanding officer, Crosshair was brought to Mount Tantus, held prisoner. He looks kind of beat down. And Dr. Hemlock wants to know where the Bad Batch is because that's where Omega is. Crosshair ain't talking. So Dr. Hemlock decides to give him some motivation in the words of Darth Vader. Torture droid with a... Big old needle. Yes, it's a torture droid from the beginning of the Star Wars saga. From Princess Leia's (laughs) chamber. It makes sense. It's chronologically accurate. If you think of Andor, when they were torturing Bix, if you think of Princess Leia and New Hope, it should be a torture droid. I kind of wanted the mind flare. Mm. I was looking for a mind flare, but then I was like, "Eh, maybe that's a little too advanced. There seems to be multiple branches of torture technology in the Star Wars galaxy, and they don't really seem to know about each other. 
we go to Coruscant in an abandoned garage that looks suspiciously like the Martez sisters' garage. It is. We talked about it in the Clone Conspiracy episode. Oh, that's right. Hauser tells Senator Chuchi and Rex and Echo, we got arrested for being clones on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And the Empire is rounding up clones for whatever reason they want, taking them away, and no one knows where they're being taken because they never come back. Echo says he's got the plans, but they're heavily encrypted, and he knows someone who can help him unlock. And Maze, I'm ashamed to say, I searched high and far in my brain. Where in the Star Wars universe? What cameo will we find? Not realizing he means tech. Yep. We're back on Mount Tantus, and we got a lot of tension in the face of <laughs> Crosshair as he's tortured. The doctor's assistant that I still believe is a clone, but other podcasts and shows have a lot of other theories. I know Ryan Airy, a screen crush, thinks it might be Dr. Pershing's mom. Okay. Because she's a scientist and Pershing mentioned his mom was a scientist. I, I thought Pershing also mentioned that that lab that he worked in when they were trying to get the mobile lab was a hundred times better than what his mom had to work in. But I'm willing to stay open to both possibilities. I think she's a clone. I think the voice, and I think the way she kind of looks like them, you know, if you take away the glasses and strip it down. But anyways, stormtroopers tell her, hey, they're supposed to keep going until he talks. He's like, well, he's no use to us, did. Because she's a clone, get it? She releases him from the restraints. He steals a blaster, shoots the stormtroopers, and then stuns her. And I think it's because she's a clone. A lot of stunning. A lot of crucial stunning here. Clones don't kill clones, man. That's the rule. That's your evidence. That's my evidence. Clones don't kill clones. Real clones, no. Yeah, real clones, no. Exactly. Shout out to Dan Tony. He's going, he's stumbling around, and this is a big one. We know that Crosshair isn't feeling well because he's missing shots. Yeah. The clone doctor, who's not a clone according to some people, tells him there is no escape. And that is a callback to... Darth Vader. Darth Vader. There's no escape. But he doesn't want to escape. He wants to send the distress signals to his brothers, indicating that the redemption of Crosshair is now complete. He is now a good guy back again. Voila, another Star Wars redemption story told. A guy is good, and then he turns bad, and now he's good again. He also, I thought, played into Hemlock's plan here. Because he goes to send a transmission to them. Seemed like they wanted him to do that. Then the whole room fills with a green toxic gas. And this was pretty badass, I got to admit. When Hemlock comes in and he says, Ah, yes, I am immune because I've been getting high on my own supply all the time. This is my own personal toxin. It doesn't affect me. The exposition that happens later in the episode clears it up for me. But at the time, I thought that was really dumb. Why does he just have him wear a mask when he comes in? Like, what is this? Oh, he's immune to it? Come on. What's that about, right? Because he's a mad scientist. He's a mad scientist. We find out later that he's been doing some all crazy shit. But first, we got to go to Abu. And life on the island of Star Wars Greece is idyllic. Wrecker's mm-hmm. out here fishing. He's grabbing massive fish. You've got Hunter settling into life. Everyone's happy. Omega's getting flying lessons, and Maze, that makes us, what, three podcasts in a row that we've recorded where someone's getting a driving lesson? Oh, man. It's driving lesson year. 
That's for sure. Do you think Wrecker is happier here on Space Grease, Pabu, or on Kashyyyk? Oh, no, Space Grease for sure, man. He was really feeling himself on Kashyyyk. All the Wookiees were in his weight class. Yeah, I suppose. He likes to get out. He likes to have fun. Omega gets to do the tech turn, which is not what it's called, but tech kind of likes having a turn called on him. That's when they gun it, they kill the engine, raise the flaps, turn it around, and then blast the engine again. You know who did a tech turn recently, Maze? Bo-Katan. <laughs> Bo-Katan at the beginning of the movie. That's right. You guys are unscarable. Unturnable. You ever watch these things and wonder, are they supposed to be aligned for us on purpose, or is that just coincidence? Because there have been several times where it's like, oh, yeah, they just talked about that in Mandela, or they just talked about that in Bad Batch. I think it's not perfectly synced up in terms of when these episodes comes out, but they do have overlapping themes this season in particular. So I don't think that's an accident, and that's Filoni having his finger in both pots. Echo shows up, and everyone's happy to see Echo, and Echo comes to Tech, and he tells him, I need this thing encrypted, and Tech says some Tech shit, or I don't know. Back on Mount Tantus... We got some FaceTime between Tarkin and Hemlock. Tarkin's saying that more and more of these clones are going AWOL or whatever, running amok. He's concerned that the transport was targeted, that they knew, and that they don't want the leak to come out. And so Hemlock says, just give it to me. I'm going to do all types of experiments and stuff. And that presumably means he'll brainwash him like he did the clone assassin. Yes. And repurpose the clones for his benefit. Or cloning experiments. Taking that good genetic material that the clones are made of and trying to unlock further the secrets of the clone. Maybe reverse engineering from a clone back to what the original DNA stuff is and trying to figure out, basically decode what the Kaminoans mastered because, of course, Nalasei... The Kaminoan scientists that they have held captive will not tell them. Back on Pabu and Hunter's asking Echo, why are you doing this, man? Why are you fighting so hard? Why don't you come out here, man? We chilling out here. We eating space souflaki, space baklava. We're doing it. And he says, you can't win. He hits them with the Adrian from Rocky. You can't win. Just seen them. You know how strong they are. And Echo basically says, I don't fight. Because I think I'm going to win. I fight because I'm a real one, you bitch ass. Mm. This highlights, of course, Maze, there is a difference between Echo and the Bad Batch. Even though he was a Bad Batcher, he was a quote-unquote reg first. And so he has an affinity for all clones in a way that Hunter and those guys don't. They really don't care because they've always been outcasts. Doesn't matter to us, but it matters to Echo. And then they get interrupted before they can finish their conversation. Oh, well, got this text message from Tech. Gotta go. Tech has all the exposition for us. Hemlock was kicked out of the Republic Science Corps because of unnatural, Ooh. unauthorized, and unorthodox experiments. Ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about cloning. He dropped out of clone college to launch a startup from his garage where he brainwashes clones and inhales his toxic gas. The island of Dr. Moreau basically is what's happening here. The advanced science division, top secret division in the empire, and they keep looking through the archives and tech reveals that Crosshair is a prisoner. He found his clone number on the transfer register, checked the old comm channels, and found the distress message. Now the Bad Batch are wondering, is it a trap? Or is he in trouble? Both. It's both. He's in trouble and it's a trap, but we're headed to Mount Tantus. That's where all roads lead for the big confrontational finale. Now here's the thing. Plan 88, the seeker, is a tactical code phrase 
Mays, signifying that they are being targeted and should hide. They're not going to do that. We have to go get our brother. Omega, annoying little kid. So we're back on Tantus. They're going to torture Crosshair some more. That was Bad Batch. Yeah. So the next episode is called The Summit. Now, I didn't mention that. In the conversation, the FaceTime conversation between Tarkin and Hemlock, he asked him to present some of his stuff at the upcoming summit. And so we're going to get, I guess, a big ISB meeting with all the baddies. We're going to tell us what the plan is here, right? TechCrunch Disrupt Empire Edition. <laughs> it's going to be great. Move on to Mandalorian on the secret planet where the covert is. We see Mandalorians training everywhere. This is hilarious. This is Mandalorian Muscle Beach, I mean. I thought of American Ninja. Yes. When they go to the bad guy's ninja camp. Exactly. <laughs> but my question is, does this shit not cost money? Yo, the gas. These dudes are broke. The ammo. Living in a freaking cave. cave. <laughs> and they're out here just shooting missiles into the water. Yo, just lighting it up. I'm like, there's not even a target. What are they doing? There's not even a target. You guys are just shooting at nothing. This is wasteful. I don't care how cool it looks and how you're flexing. You need this stuff. I don't buy that they just have unlimited ammo. Well, we know they don't have unlimited ammo, unlimited supplies, whatever, because one of the things that happens in this episode is them trying to fly and a goddamn thing running out of gas. Uh, okay. All right. I don't understand why they're on this planet. I don't understand why they're here. They have to hide. Okay. There's a billion freaking planets out there. Hide on a different planet. <laughs> After the turtle croc attacks in episode one, and they lost three or four dudes? It seems to be an unnecessarily dangerous planet. Like, is it really more dangerous for them to live in the regular Republic? Are people hunting Mandalorians anymore? They seem to be really paranoid, which I guess... When you have your whole civilization destroyed, that's understandable. Look, I get it. They don't have a home base. That's fine. But there's got to be somewhere better than this, as we'll get to. If they went and lived on Tatooine right now, would life really suck? No! That's my point. They're hiding from something that I don't think is an actual threat. Actually, it's more of a threat. The Empire or the remnants of the Empire are more of a threat to them in the wilderness than they are living on a civilized planet, or even go back to Navarro, to be honest. Right. Seems like they've got an offer right there. Didn't could have said, hey, got some tracks of land. Yeah. <laughs> no, the high magistrate, I can get us a deal. We could start a compound. It'd be so easy. So while everybody's working out, Grogu's on the beach and he's playing with rocks. And we all think that he's moving the rocks with his mind because, of course, he's a little Jedi now and he's in tune with the Force. But Maze. Film noir. Oh. They're just crabs. He picks one of them up. I thought he was going to eat it like an ice cream cone, but nope, not hungry this time. Din comes to get him because he wants him to work out with the other kids. And this is where I call him helicopter dad Din. <laughs> he is the worst soccer dad. He is walking up and down the sidelines. <laughs> calling out fouls. He took his eight-year-old and rolled him in the U14 team, right? Put him there, like, in the middle of this thing. He's like, my kid plays at a higher level, right? Yep. He's only in the third grade, but he plays, like, at a seventh grade level. And so we get this little asshole kid who says, why doesn't he have a helmet? Yeah, he squares off against Ragnar, the kid from the first episode who was getting his baptism. Oh, there's one in the same. Oh, I didn't put two and two together there. The newly baptized Ragnar 
squares up against Grogu, and they're going to do a darts challenge. Put on the darts, and the dart thing is way too big for Grogu. It's hilarious. She has a belt. This was so funny. It was a full forearm sleeve for him while it goes on most people's wrists. And they do a little paintball action here. This is incredibly silly. So they do it like fencing, where they count off, or taekwondo, I guess, and he shoots with the paintball, gets a point, shoots with another paintball, gets a point. Grogu does his little flips and shit, which I thought was executed camera-wise really poorly. Yeah. A lot of cuts. It's like a Liam Neeson action scene. And then he shoots all three paintballs at once, which, was that allowed? Because Ragnar could have easily done that. Yes, the judge said in no particular order. So there you go. He wins. Ragnar can't believe it. And then we get a callback because... Din told Ragnar, one does not speak unless one knows. And then Paz says that after. This is the way. Paz was, or I guess we'll find out in a second. But yeah, Ragnar's dad is Paz. He's Ragnar Visla. In the case of Ragnar, the baptized, kidnapped Mandalorian foundling, Paz Visla, you are the father. Oh. Folks, I want to talk to you about life and how things change and how they usually change for the better. Look, five years ago, I didn't have a podcast with my dad. Now I do. Five years ago, I didn't talk a lot on this show, and now I talk way more than people would like. So life is always changing. I'm sure in your life, you have examples of the same exact thing. But you know that one thing that hasn't changed? The great taste of Miller Lite. They keep it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. When he does his flip and everything, Bo-Katan looks at Din and says, did you teach him that? He says, not me. Ha ha, because we're doing a wink and a nod. Luke Skywalker did that shit. Bo also sneaks in some poppy talk. She says, my dad was hard on me too. (laughs) (laughs) Big poppy talk episode. So then, you know, disgraced by losing to a two-foot-tall puppet, Ragnar wanders over to the water and a reptavian flies out of nowhere to pick him up. <laughs> Walks over to the water. The water that we've established has this massive dinosaur in it. Ugh. Maybe we stay away from the beach. How about that? Number two, I believe they call it a raptor. Sure. Reptavian is apparently a Star Wars genus of anything that's a reptile and a bird type creature. For those of you wondering, yes, an episode of Game of Thrones broke out. Way dumber than any episode of Game of Thrones ever. This reptavian, this raptor takes off and Paz Vizsla says, don't shoot it. It'll kill the child. That's what happened last time. It's already happened. Yes. Paz, what? Why are we doing this, Paz? What the hell? How much more dangerous can Navarro be? This seems terrifying. They've lost multiple people to these raptors. They lost people to this turtle croc. Choose a different planet. It's that easy. So they go and they chase it. And like you said, they run out of gas. Run out of gas. And that's when you know what Paz says that really upset me. What do you say? It always gets away. I'm like, wait. Always? And you did the same thing again? (laughs) And none of you have a ship? It's so maddening. So Bo-Katan follows it. In her ship. 
because she's not a broke boy like these poor assholes living in caves. But she just scouted where it is. They have to come back. It's at the top of a rock formation, very tall rock formation. So they can't use their jetpacks because it'll make noise. And if it makes noise, then it'll kill the kid. That seemed very convenient. Very convenient writing. You got to be quiet or it's going to kill the kid. Seems like it would have just killed the kid if it wanted to kill the kid. Yeah. More on that later. So they concoct this whole plan and then they fly out there and they're like, oh, well, you know what? We'll just make a campfire down here. We'll do it in the morning. Everyone leaves. So the armor is left with Grogu. By the way, Maze, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw somewhere that because the armorer's helmet has spikes on it, has horns on it that this means the armorer was part of that unit of Mandalorians who swore allegiance to Maul when he ruled Mandalore because he had the Darksaber. If you go back and watch the Clone Wars, you see the ones that fly with, that roll with him have these horns on the helmet, and so does the armorer. So that's another thing to keep an eye out for. Obviously, Maul is dead at this point, but just that this person was perhaps one of those. The armorer is making... Grogu, a little Beskar, I don't know what it's called, some shit, I don't know. It looked like a shield at first, but then she put it on his chest. More Kevlar? He's already got the little knit coat, so I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why she didn't make him something else, but whatever. I do like when the armorer says, Foundling Grogu. It just sounds very silly. And as the giant hydraulic press is slamming down. <laughs> We get cut after cut, and the traumatized Grogu has a flashback, I mean. We have a full flashback, not just a little scenes here and there. A full-ass Order 66 flashback for young Grogu. We see Jedi being attacked by clones, and if you see they got the blue armor on, that's the 501st. That is Anakin's battalion right there. So they're cutting through them. Grogu escapes from an elevator. Get him to Kellerin. Get the youngling to Kellerin. Now, Maze, this might be perhaps the most confusing Easter egg in all of Star Wars. There's layers to this. There are layers to this. Crappy Easter egg. So the actor playing Kellerin Beck is Ahmad Best. Ahmad Best, the man who played Jar Jar Binks in the movies and voiced them in the Clone Wars cartoons. He is the first actor to ever do the motion capture thing. Pioneer in the field. Andy Circus. who? They were going to put someone in spandex and have these little balls. He was the first one to do that. And he's an incredible physical actor as well. And apparently, for his troubles, he got death threats. He sure did. <laughs> Star Wars fans hated Jar Jar Binks. Now, Maze, you were young when it came out. What did you think of Jar Jar Binks when you first started watching? I didn't hate him as much as... The world did. I didn't understand, though. Even at the time, as a child, I thought it was over the top. You didn't understand the hate or you didn't understand Jar Jar? I thought the character was over the top. And then the hate, death threats, seems a little extreme. Yeah. Again, Star Wars nerds, or racist Star Wars nerds, I should say. He's just an actor, man. Like It's George Lucas' fault. He wrote this goddamn character. He wrote the dialogue. And we've talked about this before, but the whole Darth Jar Jar thing or... The fact that his role was going to be more important and that that had to be scaled back because of the reaction to Jar Jar. I think that could have been a good payoff if it had been allowed to finish the way he envisioned originally. 
the biggest thing about the prequel trilogies versus the original trilogy is in the original trilogy, the idea of aliens speaking their language and having subtitles was accepted. And I remember the biggest problem I had with Phantom Menace was all the aliens spoke English with an accent that was borderline racist. Borderline? So the trade... Fe- oh my God, yeah. the Trade Federation. That's yeah. almost more racist than Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Watto as a clearly Middle Eastern slash perhaps Israeli arms dealer slash pawn shop owner or whatever. All of these aliens were like very clearly based on stereotypes. And that was an issue. But, okay, Maze. So we explained it. Oh, my best. Oh, and because he was a motion capture over there, he can play a different character here. And no one will know. Nobody knows the difference. It's just a nice little Easter egg. That's it, right? Nope. Wrong. You got it wrong. Because Kelleran Beck is the Jedi that Ahmad Best plays on this game show called Star Wars Adventures of the Jedi Temple or some shit. Jedi Temple Challenge. Basically, Legends of the Hidden Temple Star Wars Edition. Yes, which I wanted to try out for. Then I realized it was just for children. Then I watched it, and then I realized why it was just for children. But it's funny watching these kids, these out-of-shape kids, (laughs) completely fail on these different challenges. Now, I mean, you're obsessed with Star Wars and have been for a very, very long time. Were you aware of the Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge game show? I was, yes. I watched it with my kids. We all agreed it sucked. (laughs) This caught me completely off guard. I had not heard of this. I did not know he was doing this. Oh, you didn't know? You didn't know exist? So then to my grand surprise, I find out that Keller and Beck is canonized in the strangest way possible. This is now him canonized, right? Before it wasn't. He fights off some more clone troopers and then gets into a speeder and puts Grogu in a sidecar like Indiana Jones on the Last Crusade. Hold on, I mean, are you aware of the final layer of this Easter egg here? There's a third layer. There's yet another layer. Tres leches. Ahmed Best also had a cameo in Attack of the Clones as Ahmed Beck. No, he didn't. Which sounds a lot like his real name. And he's at the Outlander Club where... (laughs) Someone tries to sell Obi-Wan death sticks. Yes. And Best has confirmed that they are related. That's incredible. (laughs) So ridiculous. That's incredible. You beat me there, Maze. I have no idea. That's insane. Big platform moment for Ahmed Best here as he rescues Grogu to become his first stepdad. We got a nice little chase scene through Coruscant. Oh, hey, is that the peak of Umate? Yeah. From the beginning of last episode. Come on, you guys. Well, we've got this CGI set lying around. Why don't we just have him fly through it? He goes down a train tunnel, and this is the same subway that they took last week. Gets to a landing platform that has a Naboo-class starfighter on it and some senate guards there that help him whisk grogu away and so maze the speculation here is that you're gonna love this this ship is owned and sent by none other than the senator from naboo (gasps) maze who are the two senators from naboo one of them Padme. Padme Amidala, of course, but then she gets a more important position. And also her her ship is on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. No, this is Senator Jar Jar Binks's goddamn <laughs> ship, man. Wow. Do you think we're going to get... Does Keller and Beck... <laughs> is Keller and meet... Beck going to meet Jar Jar Binks in this Ahmed Best renaissance? <laughs> 
Just grow and grow? I think it needs to happen. I might as well at this point. <laughs> Flash back to reality. And we're done making this thing for Grogu. She gives it to him and says, you're going to grow into it. Sure, whatever. And we're back. The Mandalorian, they set up the base camp. They're having a little cookout. And Bo-Katan has to ask Din, yo, how do you eat? I did enjoy this. We needed this little bit of exposition that they can take off their helmets to eat, just not when anybody else is around. So they all have to go walk away to different places to go eat, which is just insane. She gets up to do that. Paz Vizsla says, no, you're the leader of the war party. So out of respect, you get to stay by the fire. Congrats. Shout out to all the Mandalorians eating like Steven Glansberg and Superbad by themselves. Sun's up. Time to go Mission Impossible 2 and climb up this sheer rock face. How is Paz Vizsla doing this with all of his armor and gear? He's got to be the strongest man in the world. Strongest Mandalorian. In the world, Ian. They get up to the top of the nest. They see a heat source. Paz Vizsla runs headfirst. My son! And reveals, oh, it's his son. That's why. And when he gets there, surprise, it's not his son. It is the baby hatchlings of this dinosaur raptor pterodactyl thing. Dragon. And then the mama bird shows up. And now we got a full-on fight. And it spits Ragnar out. Oh, come on, guys. It was keeping him alive. Why? In its stomach this whole time. I wondered this, Maze. At first, I was like, is it the Beskar? Maybe the Beskar kept it. But nope. Because the rest of his outfit is just regular pants. Yeah, he's a foundling. He doesn't have all his gear yet. All he has is the helmet. I know that the raptor is trying to mash up the food so he can baby bird it to its- It was overnight? Children, but no. The kid's not dead until we attack it. That's when it'll kill it, even though it had it in its stomach. It's trying to baby bird it since yesterday. Yesterday afternoon this happened. We got to the mountain. They took the night off. We spent the night- Telling ghost stories. About the pizza delivery hey, guy. Hey, from the beginning of the movie. You're unscarable. Philip, the Mandalorian! It flies off. It's got the kid in its grasp. It's got Paz in its mouth. It's flying around. The other one's flying. The shit hooks into it. This was some kind of cool action with the jetpacks. That was a great scene. But they're just trying to shoot tethers at it to wrap up its wings, I guess. Maze, do you know who directed this episode? Mando! The incomparable. The high magistrate himself. High magistrate himself. We get this aerial combat. Eventually, they save everybody. It falls down, and the dinosaur that lives in the water ends up eating it, thus reinforcing what Maze and I have been saying all episode long. Why do you live here? Also, it's another callback to the Phantom Menace. As Qui-Gon says, there's always a bigger fish, or in this case, a bigger reptile. So we go back, and all's well. We save the kid. Also, we found three new foundlings. And they bring these things here. And I'm like, no, why would you do that? I don't get this. I guess it'll be cool if it works out, but it seems like a risky plan. Like they want to train them or what is it? Yeah, I think they want to train them, but that doesn't make any sense. When they called them foundlings, I just imagined these raptors in one giant ass Beskar helmet. (laughs) They don't have enough Beskar to do that. Looking like the chicken and family guy when it's Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the feathers and stuff sticking out. I guess they want to train them like to ride them like a banta. Seems like an absurd plan. Or lunch. I guess it was a gag, like a visual gag. That can't be a visual gag. This has to play in somehow. Okay. During the fight, 
Bo-Katan lost some shit. A pauldron. The armor is going to make her a new one. And they keep doing this, like, this sensual montage. Every time someone has to get something made, like, I don't care anymore. Just make it and hand it to her. Forge is crucial to their culture. I mean, so every time you're getting some armor, it's like going to church. Bo wants the mythosaur sigil. She's got a little fascination going. And she casually, not so casually, tells the armor she saw a mythosaur. No, but here, in reality, not just in my imagination. And the armor says, when you choose to walk the way of the Mandalore, you will see many things. The armor doesn't get it. Uh-huh, sure. The armor's like John Favreau in The Breakup. Like, I read you loud and clear. Like, I don't think you're listening to me. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Say it louder. Say it a little louder. Plausible deniability. Maze. We didn't even mention night owls last time, I don't think. Right. They recognize her as a night owl, and the armor asks if she wants to keep the night owl sigil for her new armor. The night owl, of course, is her little gang. And when she broke off from Death Watch, she started a night owl. That's what her little sigil represents. But I don't even think there are any night owls anymore, so she's solo dolo on that one. Also, Grogu's little circle plate has Clan Mudhorn sigil on it, which is him and Din. Yep. Clan of two. Where do you think we go from here, Maze? I found this to be a very disappointing episode. The Grogu flashback under-delivered. Yeah, I wish they had taken more time. It felt rushed, for sure. And it turned into the Ahmed Best show, which was something that I never would have expected. <laughs> I didn't mind that. Good for him. That's fine. Good for him. It's nice that he got that, but like they could have spared us this whole dinosaur episode and gone deep into Order 66 and Grogu's experience. Maybe a little bit more with Keller and Beck or whatever. I know there's more to it. I'm just saying even from the timeline of Order 66 happening to them escaping on the Naboo ship, they could have done that in more detail. I'm not saying give us more afterward, but just more detail. And the Mandalorian plotline went from a casual workout into a very stupid rescue mission. With no stakes. Didn't make sense. Get off this planet. That's my first and last <laughs> note. Yeah. Get out of there. <laughs> Going forward from here, I leave with the same desire that I had last week. Can we get some Mandalorians talking to each other about the Darksaber and a real conversation about the Mythosaur, not one that's misunderstood. And can we talk about going back to Mandalore? And can we move that forward? Because literally nothing happened on that front. Are you surprised they didn't go back to Mandalore immediately? He said, it's fine. What are they waiting for? Perfectly fine. No, let's stay on this planet with all these killer reptiles that attack once a day. Natural disasters <laughs> waiting to happen. All right. Well, next week, as we said earlier, two episodes of the Bad Batch to end season two and an episode of The Mandalorian. I'm very excited to see where Bad Batch ends. I hope you are excited too for Darth Corn Puzzle. I'm Darth, I mean, reminding you. One does not speak unless one knows.
Folks, I want to talk to you about life and how things change and how they usually change for the better. Look, five years ago, I didn't have a podcast with my dad. Now I do. Five years ago, I didn't talk a lot on this show, and now I talk way more than people would like. So life is always changing. I'm sure in your life, you have examples of the same exact thing. But you know the one thing that hasn't changed? The great taste of Miller Lite. They keep it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.